We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you finish Did you that? Chug that? <laughs> we're, about one half, we're about halfway there. We're just saying that it's off to a nice start. Why does it have to be all or nothing all the time? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing it for the show. Field of 68 till I die. This is the Field of 68 After Dark Show, the only place that you need to be for college hoops every single night. Isn't that the truth? As we go deep into this Thursday evening, it is Field of 68 After Dark here on Sirius XM Channel 84, the ESPNU station. We're also on Twitter and YouTube. We're taking your questions over the next hour. I'm John Fanson. Tonight we're joined by an all-star panel. The great Ashton Gibbs is with us pride of the Pittsburgh Panthers and Rob Dalster is with us from New Jersey. Gentlemen, it's great to have you with us. And tonight folks on the show, we will talk about Bruce Pearl and the Auburn situation. The Tigers talking earlier today about how they are passionately pursuing a contract extension with Bruce Pearl. We'll talk about just how great Bruce Pearl is and what all this means. We'll hit on Purdue and Iowa. We'll talk about that UCLA Arizona game earlier this week. Who did it say more about? But we begin tonight on Sirius XM Channel 84, Field of 68 After Dark, with the Big East Conference, a league that looks like it could have seven of its 11 teams in the NCAA tournament. We know the league is strong, but right now, the Providence Friars are in first place in this league, which stands out. They're at 7-1. and one. They will welcome in Marquette this weekend. So I pitched the question to you, Rob Doster, right off the top, coming in hot on After Dark. Who is going to win the Big East? UConn. Next question. That's how you're going to tip this off. <laughs> That's how you're going to tip this off. Now, no, the, Huskies, I... the Huskies are 5-2, and two, and they're in a, a particularly nice scheduling window right now where they've defeated Butler. They... Uh, got a win earlier this week to, to keep rolling over Georgetown. They've got DePaul on the schedule coming up. They have Creighton next week at home. Things are lining up for a February 5th Saturday showdown in Philadelphia with Villanova that, that really is going to be the game of the year in the conference to date. Why do you think UConn is the best team in the Big East? I just think that they have a level of athleticism and a size that no one else in the conference can match. I think R.J. Cole is the most underrated player in all of college basketball. The load that he has to carry for this team every single night 
as really the only uh, creator that they have, the only initiator that they have offensively. The fact that he's doing it at what, like five foot 11 um, in a league as as tough as a, and as physical as the Big East is, he gets nowhere near enough credit for the job that he does and the job that he has done this season. I think Tyrese Martin is finally figuring it out and finally realizing how good he is as a basketball player. Uh, the sh- the, his shot has been, um, I, don't, I don't think he's missed in, in like three weeks. Uh, at least none of that. He's one of those guys. You know how those guys where you feel like every time that you watch them on TV, they hit every single shot that they take. That's where I'm at with Tyrese Martin for the last three weeks. I think he's made every shot that I've seen him take um, over the last three weeks. Uh, their ability to get to the offensive glass. The fact that they now have Adama Snow go back and this offense is rolling. I mean, what they did against Georgetown was about the perfect offensive performance for this team. And for me, the biggest thing that they were missing was getting into that rhythm, right? They were missing players so much early on in the season, whether it was Isaiah Whaley being out with the uh, after he passed out on the sideline in the first game, whether it was Adama with his abdominal injury, whether it was Tyrese with the wrist injury, they're finally hitting their groove. And I think what they needed was a stretch of, uh, I don't want to say bad teams, but a stretch of bad teams to be able to kind of get into this rhythm, develop a little bit of confidence, get Jordan Hawkins going off the bench, find a way to get him making some shots, get Tyler Pauly going so that he's making some shots, get Tyrese Martin. So his confidence is flowing and he looks like a basketball player again. Right. The thing that always stood out to me was, uh, I mean, Ashton, he, at the end of the overtime in the Seton hall game, uh, Dan Hurley calls a play. It's supposed to be able to get inside to Adama Sanogo that gets cut off. And, and Tyrese is just sitting there. looking. He doesn't know what to do. It feels like he kind of uh, panicked in the moment, right? Maybe that's a little bit too strong, but it felt like he kind of panicked in the moment. And now we're seeing him kind of be a basketball player instead of being a guy out there just running plays. And I think what they needed was just some, some, some teams from the bottom of the conference to beat up on. It helps you build your confidence. So I'm all in on UConn. I may be biased when I say that, but I'm all in on this UConn team winning the league. I, I, I have those I, I got those Villanova Wildcats, man. And, and and the reason I say so, you know, it's just a winning pedigree that they have with Jay Wright and and they have an identity. I just uh, I think going into each and every game, uh, you know what to expect. You know, they, they're going to defend. They're going to stay in front of the ball. They're going to contest um, and then they're going to take good shots. They rarely turn the ball over. And, uh, and they have veterans, you know, Colin Gillespie at the helm, you know, he rarely turns the ball over. He can make plays for others, whether it's, you know, from the perimeter. Uh, but Jay Wright does a great job of posting him up and uh, making him make plays, you know, out of the post as well. Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels, and even Eric Dixon, you know, down low. I, I think what Villanova portrays day in and day out, um, they're going to have some games where they don't shoot well. And those those have been the games where they have lost. But as long as they, you know, stay consistent from the perimeter shooting, I, I think they'll be fine. I think it's still, you know, Villanova's to lose. It is Villanova's to lose. And the Wildcats have earned that. There is an intimidation factor when they go up against teams, especially in high caliber games in this league. And Connecticut's going to have the window open to make a statement next Saturday in Philadelphia. I do find it very interesting that the two UConn-Villanova meetings in this conference, schedule makers knew what they were doing, are in the last month of the regular season. But I'll tell you what here. 
as opposed to other years where the Big East might have had one or two clear teams that could win the league. This year, there are four teams that could win the league. There really are. Because Marquette has played that well here recently, and if they're not winning the league, they're causing problems for another team that could win it. Marquette has Villanova in Milwaukee on Wednesday night. And guys, this is not getting spoken enough about. Get this. Marquette is hosting Villanova in a Big East game Wednesday night. The game is at 10 o'clock Eastern time in Milwaukee. It is a very rare late, late start. I think that's advantage Marquette to get Villanova. And if that happens and Villanova takes a third conference loss, then that could turn the tides in this. But we got to talk about the Providence Friars, who are likely not going to get to 20 games. They're not. Because if you look at the rescheduling windows in Big East play, there's just not enough time for them. So they have had a visit to Creighton get axed. They've had a home game against UConn get axed. They had a game at Seton Hall get axed from their schedule. But win percentage is what is likely going to determine this, and they have seven wins to one loss. And I think that they're a team that with a road win over UConn and a couple of games against Villanova, I think they just have to get Villanova once. I thought they could struggle with Xavier. They just wanted Xavier. If you look at the Providence Friars' schedule, you're sitting there saying, man, they might be the team that ends up winning the Big East Conference. Yeah, and the three games that you just mentioned are three potential losses. Those are three games that you could lose, regardless of how good you are. Those, those are, At Seton Hall, is never easy to play there. Um, at Creighton, they, they put 18,000 people in that building every single time that they play. And UConn, you know, I already kind of made the argument they're 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 if they're not the best team in the big east they're one of the best teams in the big east right now they're number 17 on Kempom. that's that's going to be a tough game no matter what happens uh and um that is that is definitely a favorable thing for providence if they're not able to get some of these games rescheduled i hope they do you know i i, I hope that we get a chance to see uconn go to the dunk like that that game needs to happen that rivalry needs to be celebrated especially if there is uh, a, a big east title on the line which they're very likely um, could be, uh, but I do want to, uh, I do want to talk more about Marquette because I don't think that we're talking no. enough about Marquette. I don't think we're talking enough about Marquette nationally, not just in no. the big East, the threat of what this team could be this season. Look, Tyler Kolek's been unbelievable at the point, right? Um, I think that the development of some of the wings, like Greg Elliott, the shots that he's making has been really, really impressive. I think that the addition of the big fella inside, um, I'm blanking on Kirkwath. Kirkwath. Kirkweth, yeah. yeah. His his presence as a as a rim protector has been really, really special. But like Daryl Morsell, man, Shaka went out and got the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year to come to his program to buy in, to be a leader, to set a tone, to do all of that. And oh, by the way, he's averaging like 18 points a game. That why are we not talking about him as a potential Big East player of the year? Well, I right? think I think the biggest player of the year might be Justin Lewis. Yeah, that's honestly. why we're not talking um, about it. You're right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it just speaks about what Shaka has done in such a short period of time, just building that culture there. You know, any anytime you you get a you get a kid like Daryl Morcel to buy in and then um, you know, win games at a at a high clip. But Tyler Kolick is the one that, you know, I would I'm really surprised about because a lot of people question that pickup coming from George Mason in general um, when he transferred. And I think what he's doing, making shots, but being under control at the same time in the Big East, going from the A-10 to the Big East is a big jump. And uh, he's definitely proven his worth for sure. 
Yeah, and, and you look at what Marquette has done defensively. They're 23rd in Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency. That was the constant for Shaka Smart's great teams previously, and it has translated to this Marquette Golden Eagles team. They defend. They are creating havoc. It's vintage smart, and they really make you play the game on their terms. That's how you beat Villanova. Marquette pulled off the shocker at the Fitter and Pavilion because they made Villanova play a Marquette-style game. And that is the ultimate testament to what Shaka Smart is building in just year one on the job. This team has a combined eight quadrant one and quadrant two wins, gentlemen. Five Q1 victories. And they are showing no signs of slowing down with a net ranking of 31. And I think that that might even be a little bit too low in terms of the metrics. I don't even think the analytics like them as much as they could. Justin Lewis blossoming as a star makes them such a threat because he is six foot seven. And I talked to assistants around the Big East who said they are downright shocked at just how good Justin Lewis is offensively. They did not see this coming. And they don't know who to put on him right now. So when you combine that with a guy who's got tons of Big Ten experience in, in Daryl Morsell, but was never asked to score the way he has here. And I was thinking about this, and, and I want to get both your thoughts on this here. Sirius XM Channel 84, Field of 68, After Dark, John Fanta, Ashton Gibbs, Rob Dalster. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this, Ashton. Daryl Morsell at Maryland was not their primary player. He was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year but he wasn't asked to be the alpha. What's there to be said about the transfer portal and the way that maybe a Big East team could benefit by saying to the second or third best player on a Big Ten team, hey, you could be our best player here, and you can come here, and we've got great coaches. We got Shaka Smart. We got Ed Cooley. We got Jay Wright. We got Greg McDermott, others, Kevin Willard. And you could come here, and you can be the guy. Uh, It says a lot, and honestly, it just really speaks to Shaka Smart's confidence in him. Um, and everything is situation-based. It doesn't matter what level you're at. Um, if you're put in the right situation, the coach believes in you, and uh, he's telling you to be aggressive, especially offensively, that's what kids want to hear. So if you, you, know, you, you tell kids that, and then you go out and actually do it, and he just praises you more and more, and at the same time you're winning, I think that's a big step in the right direction for Marquette, and it just shows the confidence that Shaka – has in him and and even Justin Justin Lewis, you know, like like you said, a lot of people didn't expect this, and it almost gives you a VCU Shaka feel when he, you know, had that passion and he was really, you know, everybody was just looking at him in terms of being a player's coach. It gives you a similar feeling to that uh, when I watched this Marquette team play um, in terms of the passion and how they play defensively, gapping up, active hands. And I, I just think it speaks to Shaka's confidence in his guys. Anytime you get a guy like Daryl Marcel to, to uh, just really come out of his own and, you know, do well like he's doing uh, this season. Rob, 30 seconds. A last thought on the Big East. It's, uh, on the Big East, it's the most entertaining conference in college basketball right now. I think the Big 12 is probably the best, but that, that's a league that's built on uh, – mucking up games, playing ugly basketball, defense winning first and foremost. Mm. The Big East is the most entertaining league. Teams are going to get up and down. Teams are going to pressure you. Teams are going to try to force turnovers. You've got a bunch of teams that are going to shoot a bunch of threes. you got guys that can dunk on anybody. It's the most entertaining conference 
in college basketball. And it's probably going to end up being the most entertaining league race. Cause like you said, there's four, maybe five teams that can win the big East this season. Hmm. Fascinating discussion about what has been a fascinating league, the big East conference with a big one between Marquette and Providence ahead this weekend up next. Iowa was creeping back into it with Purdue. How the Boilermakers fared in a tough road atmosphere. Plus, UCLA and Arizona met in the Pac-12 game of the year earlier this week. Who do we learn more about? That's ahead on the Field of 68 After Dark, Sirius XM Channel 84. You're clear. We are clear and we have questions. And our first question tonight comes from Shadek Taylor. Shadek asks, guys, your thoughts on Big Saturday, Kansas, Kentucky, Fog Allen? I Kansas. Yeah, I think Kansas is going to find a way to get it done, mostly because I believe, and I got to double check on this, but someone told me that Ty Ty Washington isn't playing. So Mm. um, don't, yeah, yeah, don't, I, I, I probably shouldn't say that publicly. So if anyone's listening, this is just between us, just between friends. Um, <laughs> but I should double, I should double check on that one. But if Ty Ty's not there, it changes a lot of stuff for him. One minute. Going, going into the fog is never easy either. So. Um, okay. From 82 Atlantic, does Pitt make a coaching change at the end of the season? I'm going to say no. No. I don't think, no. I don't think so. There's, I don't. There's there's one reason why, and it's two syllables. Buy out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thirty seconds. I actually, I actually think he's going to turn it around sooner. Believe it or not, within the next year or two. I, you know what? I, I think. Here's, I here's my here's my hot take. I think that they would have had it turned around this season if they didn't have uh. The, what's what's the friendly? What's what's the the polite way to put this? Um interpersonal issues on the roster last year yeah Ashton. yep yeah. i think they would have turned it around this year and they would not have lost five that i agree here we go oh it is the field of 68 after dark here on sirius xm channel 84 we're coming to you on youtube and twitter as well get your questions in we start in the show with who will win the big east and the conclusion is it's an open race Now let's turn to Big Ten basketball. John Fanta, Rob Dowster, Ashton Gibbs taking you up until midnight here on Sirius XM Channel 80 for the ESPNU station. And Purdue found themselves up by 20 tonight. Iowa made a comeback and made an effort, as you would expect from Fran McCaffrey's team. But guys, like Purdue has shown us throughout this season, on any given night, one of their guards could just start to find his stroke from beyond the arc. And Isaiah Thompson hit four threes and po- posted 18 points as Purdue beats Iowa 83-73. to The Boilers are 17-3. and Rob, are you of the belief that Purdue has reasserted itself and is the team to beat in the Big Ten? Oh, man. Do I think that they are the team that's going to be the most dangerous in March uh, out of that conference? Yes, I do, because I think that they're the most difficult to match up with. And I think that they have the best uh, and most explosive player in that league in in Jaden Ivey. Do I think that they are the favorite to win the league? (laughs) 
I have no idea. I think that the Big Ten is going to be one of these conferences where there's six teams that end up 14 and six overall because it's so difficult to win on the road. Everybody matches up so well together. So um, I really, I, I'm, I'm still in on them. I'm still in on them. They're flawed now, Ash, and they have issues in the backcourt. We were kind of talking about this a little bit off air. They, they, you, can, you can get to them if you pressure them. If you take them out of what they want to run, I don't know if I trust Jaden Ivey in the half court yet. Um, and Zach Eady and Trevion Williams have, have kind of come back to earth a little bit over the course of the last couple of months uh, or the last couple of weeks. I, I think that they're probably closer to like a team that would typically be in that five to 10 range, as opposed to being the number one team in the country, clear cut best team in college basketball type deal. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still in on them being really, really good. It's just I I think that the top of the Big Ten is just so balanced. It's like it, it's much more difficult to call them the Big East. We all know UConn's going to win the Big East. That's a given. <laughs> no, I, I actually agree with you, Rob. Um, I'm still not giving up on on Purdue. More so just because Jade and Ivy, and we talk about identity. They they know they they know what they're going to do in terms of being an inside out type of team. The only issue I have with them is they let their offense affect their defense at times. And with that, you know, if they're not hitting shots on the offensive end, usually mm -hmm. that affects their defense. And sooner or later, you know, they'll give up straight line drives and open shots. But I love the way Matt Painter, you know, in terms of getting Stefanovic the ball in certain situations in the half court. Obviously, Jaden Ivey can push the ball um, in a blur. And then, you know, playing, playing, uh, you know, within Zach Eady and Travion Williams, you, you almost got to pick your poison if you're going to double them or not. And uh, especially Travion, he does a really good job of passing out the post. So um, I, I'm still not giving up on him, but the Big Ten is loaded. Talk about Illinois. You know what my Wisconsin. thing with that is? You know what my thing with that is, Ashton? You said that you think that their defense affects their offense. I think that their defense is just not very good. I, I think it's I think it's that simple. Look. When they played Indiana, they let Rob Finnessy and Xavier Johnson, all due respect, yeah. they let Rob Finnessy and Xavier Johnson look like the best backcourt in America. And Rob Finnessy and Xavier Johnson, that, that, that's a good backcourt. They should not be putting like 40 points combined on you, not with the way yeah. that they've been playing of late. Um, that to me is the issue. There's, there's too, it, it's too easy to penetrate against them. You don't necessarily get that kind of elite ball pressure. Uh, some of that is manageable if you have bigs that are great defending pick and rolls. Zach Eady is great at a lot of things on the basketball court. He is not a guy, not yet, that you want guarding pick and roll. So I, I just think that their biggest flaw, look, they're going to struggle if you can kind of take them out of what they want to run. That's difficult to do because they're, they're, they're really good at running their stuff. But if you can pressure them and take them out of what they want to run, you can kind of flush them offensively, and you're going to be able to beat them off the bounce. It's just that if you have good guards, you could beat them off the bounce. It's just going to be that way for the entire season. Their, their backcourt is just – it's what they are, you know? Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. I, I don't think they have a lot of depth when it comes to their backcourt as well. You know, anytime Ivy goes, you know, he's in foul trouble or something just happens in general. Um, they don't have much, you know, behind him. But like you said, defensively, like, they, they have to get better if they really want to be one of those top, you know, a Final Four team defensively is where they, they definitely need to make their mark. Yeah, so here's how I view the Big Ten. I think that Purdue, I'm in agreement with Rob. I think that they're the team that 
that poses the biggest challenge for an opponent when you get to the big dance floor because they are the most unique matchup out of the league. Their, their ability to have three, four different players who could hit four or five threes in a game, and you combine two trees that do different things, that play the game in a different way, and Zach Eady and Travion Williams is money. But I'm, I'm going to say this. I, I think that the Big Ten will likely have co-champions. You're going to have a couple of teams potentially tied with the same record. But I do worry about Wisconsin, okay? And, and here's why. They're at Illinois next week. The following week, they're at Michigan State. The following week, they're at Indiana. Their schedule is hard. They got, they got hit with a hard Big Ten schedule here as things go on. The one marquee Big Ten home game they do have, they host Purdue on March 1st. The Cole Center should be rocking. But they have some really difficult road games. So if I'm picking between Illinois and Wisconsin, Illinois showed me so much this week, Dalster, in beating Michigan State, San Kofi Coburn, and Andre Curbelo to still find a way to win that game, to defend they w- the way they did. And I just love Trent Frazier. He is the epitome of a winner. So if you're asking me to pick between Wisconsin and Illinois, because Purdue is, they have three Big Ten losses, they're six and three, I'm going to pick Illinois because Wisconsin going on the road here for three straight tough Big Ten opponents at Illinois here coming up. I, I-, I just like the fighting Illini more than I do Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State was the providence of the big 10. And, and what I mean by that is they are a, a clearly a good basketball team that got a little bit fortuitous with the way that the schedule broke in terms of who was in and who was out and when they were playing certain teams and they just went out and won some close games. And I know fans hate it when people say this and, and um, Oh, you got to win the games, make the shots pop up. But like one, there, there's an element of, of luck to one possession games, right? Because a shot that you schemed that got a wide open three, the shot went in. Well, that shot goes in 43% of the time, right? So 43% of the time, you're going to end up winning. When it goes in, there's a little bit of an element of luck. It's a little, I don't want to say it's fluky, but there is an an element of luck. That's why Ken Palm has that little luck score that he does on all of his, uh, his metrics. Fans hate hearing that kind of stuff, but that's just the way that I view life. And um, I think that Michigan state has a little bit of provenance in them. So they came back to earth a little bit. Uh, so their win at Wisconsin, I think says a lot in terms of what that Badger team is now. Yes. I do think that if there's one team in all of college basketball that I can look at and say, no one's talking about them being a potential final four team. And I can see them getting to a final four Ashton. I can see Wisconsin getting to a final four. You know why? Cause Johnny Davis is that dude. How many he's he's like the one guy in this sport that can go out and take over a game all by himself, like he did at Mackey Arena when he put up 37, 14, three assists, two seals, and two blocks on, on Purdue, who I believe were they number one in the country at that time. They weren't number one, they were like top three in the country. They were top three. three, yeah, yeah. But wait, yeah. wait a minute, what about about what about Ochai Abaji? To me, Oshai fits within what Kansas does right he gets a lot of his oh, stuff schemed by he, he's great like don't get me wrong i think uh, he might be the favorite for national player of the year right now at the very least he's a first team all-american i love oshot i'm not trying to slander oshot i don't know but about Oshai's, that you're saying that he would benefit from you're saying <laughs> that he simply benefits from his system it's not uh, that but, he benefits from the system but if you're telling me that i need someone to go one on five right 
I think Johnny Davis is, I, I, I don't, I honestly, I don't really think it's close that Johnny Davis is the guy that's better suited to doing that because Johnny Davis can play on the ball. Oshai's off the ball, off the ball, off the ball. You run him off the screens, he's going to knock down a three. You, you let him be a floor spacer, he's going to make that happen. You get him out in transition, he's catching a lob and dunking on your face. Johnny Davis is a six foot five athletic wing that basically runs the point for Wisconsin in important matchups. So what they do, watch Wisconsin when it comes to an important possession. Johnny Davis has the ball. He walks up the floor. He dribbles around for 20 seconds, and then he goes one-on-one. And I think that's different than the way that Kansas uses Oshai. I love Oshai, but I think that Johnny Davis is the one guy that can carry him to a title. Also, like everybody already thinks Kansas can win a title. Who thinks Wisconsin can win a title? It's Wisconsin. I don't think they can. I just don't Frank, think there's enough. Frank Kaminsky's not walking through that door, Ashton. <laughs> I, I love Johnny Day. I, I think his approach to the game, especially those big games, man, he's almost he's almost craving it. He's, he's craving that big moment, and that's what I like about him. Um, Wisconsin, I, I'm a big Illinois guy, believe it or not. I, I love yeah, Andre too. Cabrillo. You don't like you don't like Cabrillo, Rob, but I'm I'm a Cabrillo guy, honestly. And I you, think you, he gives you know them. Who I he, love. I love Trent Frazier. Oh, big time. That, that dude I, is so tough. I, I think just having both of them in the backcourt, they just branch off each other just really well. He's just one of, you know, Carbello in general, he's just one of those guys, you know, you get deep into conference play and even the NCAA tournament. He's one of those guys you're going to, he could definitely lose, you know, you could lose a game with him for sure, but he can win you a, a few tough games to me. You know, he could definitely win just because he can make plays late shot clock when nothing's going on. He can really create uh, from the perimeter when it's a guards game. You know, that's that's the perfect point right there that that he when nothing's going on. He's the guy that can change a game that can change a possession that you give the ball to and say, okay, go do something. Right. You got everybody doubling Kofi. Alfonso Plumbers two for 12. Trent Frazier's two for 11. You got to give it to someone. You give the ball to Cabello and say, okay, go do something now. But to me, like with him. He's got to work in in context of everything they everything else they got going on, right? You don't want him to to when he's trying to be Andre Corbello first team All American, then that's a very different thing than being Andre Corbello that when you need him can go for twenty points and six assists like he did in that double overtime game where they lost to Purdue, right? And they would not, for the record, they would not have gotten to that second overtime or the first overtime if it wasn't for the way Corbello played. Yep. But to me the best way to use him is as a game changer off the bench, right? Like what is it's a, you know how, you know how in football you got like your, your, your first and second down backs that you bring in there and you just kind of bruise and they get your four yards, five yards, six yards, maybe once in a while to break a 15 yard play. And then you bring in the guy that might, you know, lose seven on a play, but you can set him up for a screen pass and he's taking it to the house. Like that's what Andre Corbello is. He's that change of pace dude. He's the lightning to somebody's thunder. You like Great that, Vance? I love that. I love that. Lightning <laughs> to somebody's thunder is, is what Curbelo is. And the heart and soul of Illinois is Trent Frazier. You can always count on him. He is the everyday guy in college basketball. Like, you never have to think, oh, he, he's not. Even when he doesn't shoot the ball well, he impacts the game in different ways. So the fighting Illini to all of us, uh, we're, we're high on them, but the Big Ten is going to be very, very fascinating to watch play out. This is the Field of 68 After Dark here on Sirius XM Channel 84. Up next, when we all woke up, Bruce Pearl to Louisville was a real rumored story all over social media. 
as we all go to bed, Bruce Pearl's story is very different. What Auburn's plans are and what it means for Bruce Pearl. That's ahead on Field of 68 After Dark here on Sirius XM, Channel 84. You're clear. Okay. Well, hey, I like the like Johnny Davis or Ochai Agbaji. If you're in the YouTube comments right now, give me a vote. I want to see your guys' votes. I want to see people vote on Twitter. Ochai or Johnny Davis? Like, I I think that that Johnny Davis, I would probably vote for Johnny Davis. That's not my point. My point is, I think Kansas is better positioned to get to the Final Four than Wisconsin overall. Oh, without question. Yeah, but people view Wisconsin as a top-10 team. Oh, people that view Wisconsin as a top-10 team have been drinking a little too much of this brown stuff right here. (laughs) Right? Well, they're They're, ranked 11th right now, so that would be all the AP voters. By the way, what are you drinking tonight, Mr. Doster? It was was bourbon, but I made it like about 45 minutes ago when we first jumped on to get ready for the show. So now all of the ice that I put in there is melted. And so now it it just kind of looks like apple juice. So... (laughs) Someone Twitter commented, uh, is Dalster drinking the brown 30 sauce? seconds. Then we had yes. somebody say, uh, yeah, you, you are. Then we had somebody say, uh, Barstool Reeks said, uh, my pick for the Big East to whoever Dalster guarantees won't win it. <laughs> Get out of here, Reeks. <laughs> Way to be, Reeks. Russell Steinberg said, the fans, John. The fans. 15. George said, Providence Friars. Uh, future specialist says UConn Huskies. Ten seconds. TJ Cavanaugh said Fordham Rams. <laughs> wow. <Go> Five. <laughs> Here we go. It's Feel the 68 After Dark, Sirius XM, Channel 84, YouTube, Twitter, all that jazz. We're here with you until midnight. It's Thursday evening in college basketball. A huge weekend is upon us in this sport. Big 12 SEC Challenge seemingly always delivers, and we are presented by Bet Rivers. Get ready, folks, to get on your couch and place some bets here this weekend because the slate is going to be electric. I'm John Fanta. I'm joined by the pride of the Pittsburgh Panthers, Ashton Gibbs tonight, joined by the great Rob Dowster, who's even got a a nice glass of bourbon to close things down on a Thursday night in college basketball. And we are here with you to talk now about a team in the conference that quote-unquote just means more. For Auburn basketball, things are about to mean more because their board of trustees came out earlier today and said they are going to make that commitment. The plan is to make a full-on commitment to basketball because of Bruce Pearl and to keep Bruce Pearl at Auburn. There were reports earlier today on this Thursday that Louisville and Bruce Pearl could be a match, and Bruce Pearl was on some morning shows talking about the ideology that he could leave Auburn for Louisville or for another job that's open. But as the day wraps up, All reports have turned to the Auburn Tigers and Bruce Pearl marriage continuing. Rob, what do you make of this news? Yeah, I would would not be surprised to see him stay at Auburn and sign a big old fat contract. I think he's, what, like 61 years old? Sign a big old fat contract, get some kind of clause in there that says his son Steven is going to um, have have a shot at being the coach in waiting, something similar to like what Kelvin Sampson got with Kellen Sampson at Houston. 
uh, and then get this deal that's going to take him into retirement, retire at Auburn. You know, you got this thing rolling right now. You've turned a football school that had a basketball program that was completely dead into what we saw on last Friday night with fans lining up outside of the building uh, 24 hours before a game was supposed to tip off. It, it was 38 degrees in Auburn, Alabama, and you have fans waiting outside the arena overnight to get in overnight. Like the, the idea that Bruce Pearl has built that at Auburn is unbelievable. And look, I've said it on the show. I've said it on Twitter. I've said it on the DTF podcast. I've said it literally everywhere that if I was Maryland or I was Louisville, I would take a blank check and I would take that check and I would put it on Bruce Pearl's agent's desk. And I would say, make it be not about the money. Whatever, whatever Auburn's going to offer him for, for a deal, whatever Maryland is going to offer him, we're offering that too. Don't make it not about the money. And, and honestly, I don't think it's going to end up being about the money. I think Bruce likes it in Auburn. I think he likes what he's building. And I think he loves the idea of being able to uh, turn this thing over to his son um, when it's all said and done. But uh, look, Auburn's here to stay, Ashton. They ain't going anywhere. Oh, oh for sure, man. I, I just think the excitement that Bruce Pearl brings um, and obviously the recruiting. You you talk about, you know, the Isaac Okoro, Sharif Coopers, the uh, now Jabari Smiths, like the excitement that he brings year by year. And uh, it starts with the recruits. And then, you know, they love, he's a player's coach. You know, he gets the fans into it. And, uh, and even their style of play, you know, going up and down, I just think overall, like I, I would just give him a blank check. I I, I want to ask you about that. Ashton, you said he's a player's coach, right? When you were at Pitt, you were a man that was uh, not unfamiliar with a heat check, right? You, you enjoy, you enjoy taking shots. Um, how, how important is it? Like we asked Bruce about that. And he said that like, one of the most important things to him is coaching confidence in his players and making sure that like, yep. even if they take shots that make you just say like, Oh man, what was that? That they're going to take it the next time that they're going to believe yep. that they can make that shot because that's just the, the way that he operates. So when you have a guy that coaches you like that, how, how important is that? As a oh, it's, it's honestly it's everything um when you can live with the bad shots but live with the good ones as well uh make or miss and uh and, you know because confidence is everything you you know whether you make a mistake turnover uh whatever the case may be if your coach is backing you and he's telling you to shoot that next one that that goes a long way in your psyche especially as a as a shooter you know i was a shooter coach dixon he literally was telling me to shoot every time I got the ball after a while. So um, that's what I wanted to do initially. That's why I even went to Pitt. But when you have when you have a coach literally backing you, especially in college, it's one thing to do it in high school. You know, for the most part, that's more prevalent. But you rarely get that in college. So when you see a coach that's a player's coach that's telling you to listen, be be confident and don't look at me. Just worry about the next shot. That goes a long way. Think about this for a second. Bruce Pearl's SEC record as the head coach of Auburn. Now, eight seasons. The record is 67 and 67. Meaning, there have been bad patches. And and he started out with a 15 and 20 year followed by an 11 and 20 year then an 18 and 14 season in which they go 7 and 11 in the SEC, it didn't just happen overnight. 
It's not like he was a miracle worker from the get-go. But what's it say, Rob, about Bruce Pearl that at Auburn, you could have three years like that and they'll build up to a point where you made the Final Four and you're basically looked at as highly as you could be as the basketball coach of the Auburn Tigers, where football, no matter who's coaching the basketball team, is always going to be king, and yet he's been able to give basketball a very distinctive, special place on that campus. I, I think it's crazy that he's been he's been there for eight years. First of all, when you said he's been there for eight years, I was I had to do a double take on that one because it, it does not feel like he's been there for eight years. Second of all, he's been to two NCAA tournaments in seven years, and yes, he would have gone to the one that was canceled in 2020, and he's going to obviously go to to this one. And then last year's they they self imposed a postseason ban. That was strategic because they knew they weren't going to be good enough to make it into the tournament. So I know that there's a whole bunch of caveats, but he's been to two tournaments in seven years and everybody wants to hire this dude at, at what are unequivocally like top 20 programs in college basketball. Maryland wants him, Louisville wants him, or at least they should want him. Um, and Look. I, I think that says a lot about what he is as a coach. Because look, the, the thing that he does better than anything else is inspire enthusiasm. Right. And I think that what what you're looking at, one, the success he had at Tennessee and the success he had at Milwaukee and what he did at Southern Indiana Division two school before he, he left all those. But it's the fact that people are so locked in and engaged and you have these sellouts and you're seeing the success and the, the attractive style of play. Like, just imagine when you have if you have a personality, personality like Bruce, Bruce Pearls at a school with a fan base as crazy as Louisville's and as crazy as Maryland's it, it would be insane yeah people would not survive <laughs> it would be a public I, health hazard yeah I think it goes back to his style of play you know and that's why he ends up getting the recruits that he does as well and and it's fun to watch it's fun to watch he ends up getting the recruits it all just ties in together um so now you know you you put him at Louisville or even at Maryland uh, Maryland in particular, in terms of, you know, recruiting that whole base, that whole Maryland DC base. Um, I, I think he would go crazy there to be honest with you. I okay. think he would do really well. Think about this, Ashton, let's remove money here. So if you're Bruce Pearl, you're at Auburn, you're King of the world. You've been to a final four. You've led this program to historic heights. Think about this for a moment before, before posing the question to you guys, Auburn, when they went to the 2018 NCAA tournament, it was their first appearance in the big dance since 2003. 2003, 15-year gap just to make the field of 64 what becomes 68. We are the field of 68 after dark, by the way. Sirius XM, <laughs> Channel 84. <laughs> Got to get the plug in there, baby. The conference tournament, though. They win the conference tournament in 2019. Auburn basketball has only won the SEC Conference Tournament one other time in 1985. So part of the enhancement of Bruce Pearl being viewed as Auburn basketball's king is that if you look at the previous 30 years of the program from when he got there, there's not much subject matter to, to really write home about. So, Ashton, I ask you this. If you are Bruce Pearl and money's not an object here, you get to pick Auburn, staying there, Louisville, Heading there, Maryland. Which chair are you taking? 
Um, I, I'm staying at Auburn. I think just the quality of life, like you said, 30 years and the, the trustees and the support that he has right now, you can't really beat it. Um, but being 61, I just think the quality of life is everything right now. You, he, he, he's going to be able to just, it's almost going to be a machine at this, at this point, like literally when you talk about the recruits, the style of play, everything is kind of just going to be year by year. It's going to be the same thing. So, um, he doesn't really have to change much and now he has even more support. So I would just stay put. I would take Maryland. I would take Maryland. Really. Why, why I, I just, Rob? Why would you take you would take Maryland over Louisville? Yes. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I I think the amount of talent that is in the DMV that does not go to the schools that are around the DMV is just unfathomable. Think about all the players that have come from Team Takeover that came from the DC Premier programs that that have come out of that the, out of Washington, DC, out of Southern Maryland, out of Baltimore. Um, out of Northern Virginia, he would clean up. He would, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, beef with, with a lot of some of those power brokers or in that city and around that city. There's a reason why there aren't any DeMatha kids that go to Maryland. And I think if you're going to have someone like Bruce Pearl with that kind of a personality would be able to get all of that talent there. That's the big one. I think that it's the easiest way to have uh, a consistent pipeline of players coming into your program. He's, he, he can get it done at Auburn. I have no doubt about that. I think it would be significantly easier and maybe a higher level of player that you could consistently get at Maryland, too. Oh, significantly would, easier in the Big Ten? In the Big Ten, though, you think? No, no, in, in, in that area. Okay. It, in area. I think it's more difficult to recruit to Auburn, Alabama from the South than it would be to recruit from D.C., Maryland, Virginia, to the University of Maryland. And two, here's the, my biggest takeaway. I think that what he does is turns the Big Ten on its head because the style of play that he plays okay. is okay. unlike anything else in the Big Ten. Everybody in the Big Ten has a big plotting five. And you know what would happen if you play teams that have big plotting fives going up against what Bruce Pearl wants to do? They, they got no chance. So I think he turns Maryland into a juggernaut into that in that league. I think they're a consistent, like, top five, seven, eight team in college basketball. I think that they're winning Big Ten titles, and I think that what he does is he becomes a legend at the university and puts them back on top. That, that's just the way that I see this going in my head. Now, it could be a complete flop if he, ends, if he would go there. I, I, again, I think he stays at Auburn. But I just think that that is the absolute perfect marriage. Wow. I did not see that coming from you. The Bruce Pearl of Maryland, after we heard Bruce Pearl Louisville, Bruce Pearl stays at Auburn. It just shows this is going to be a wild coaching carousel in college basketball, folks, and it is still only January. It is crazy to think about that. This is the Field of 68 After Dark on Sirius XM Channel 80 for the ESPNU station. Up next, the biggest winners and the biggest losers in the month of January. Okay. It's I, like been a the Mar- I like the Maryland take. I, I actually like that. I didn't see that coming. And that's I didn't why see Mr. it coming either. It's, it's the bourbon, baby. It's, it, that was Mr. <laughs> Dalster delivering in a big way. Um, here's, here we go. Uh, oh, from producer Greg. <laughs> Who wins Saturday, Michigan or Michigan State? 
Michigan State. Hmm. You asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Michigan State. Come on. It's Michigan. What are we? T- what are we? What are we doing here? Have, have we not, not seen Michigan? <laughs> yeah, but Michigan State offensively. One minute. Offensively, they are limited. They really are. If Hunter Dickinson plays his A game, and Michigan can just find like the problem is Michigan's limited offensively, so yeah. it could be an ugly game. It could I mean, be honestly, ugly. honestly, it's two NIT teams that are facing off. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Two NIT teams facing off. No, it's not. No, get the hell out of here, <laughs> producer Greg. We are so sorry. That is terrible. Thirty seconds. It is not. From Liam, does does Ohio State need justice suing to teach to reach their ceiling? I I think so. But Rob, you've been high on the Buckeyes overall. Are you still as high on them? I mean, they got to get justice suing. Uh, the, the, my biggest Ten issue seconds. with them is is kind of like the a creator offensively. They got to get him back. So Five. yes, the answer to the question is yes. Here we go. Oh, yeah. We are amping up on a Thursday night. It just means we're one moment closer to a college hoops weekend. Feel the 68 After Dark, Sirius XM Channel 84. John Fanta with you with Ashton Gibbs and Rob Dowster here, taking you up until midnight. And now we get to the biggest winners and the biggest losers in the month of January, Mr. Gibbs. You have first dibs here on the biggest winners and biggest losers. So I know we already talked about them a little bit, but I have Auburn, UCLA, and and Providence. Um, Auburn just, you know, beating Alabama at Alabama, at Ole Miss, and at Missouri. Those, you know, obviously they're not, you know, Alabama being a good team for sure, but at Ole Miss and at Missouri, not two of the best teams. But anytime you can win on the road, um, in conference play, I think it's a plus. And then you talk about UCLA six and one in January with that only loss coming to Oregon in, in overtime. I just think big win against Arizona. Um, I just think they're trending in the right direction. Mick Cronin has them, you know, doing well, especially after a COVID break. Um, and then Providence just continuing their win streak, man. I think what they're doing in the Big East, just being consistent, taking on Ed Cooley's uh, personality and that passion and defensive effort. I think they're the hardest playing team in the Big East. So those those are three of my my winners in, in January. So RD. my my biggest winner in January, the Marquette Golden Eagles. They went from being a team that had lost four in a row, that had lost five of six, that was zero three in the Big East. That Jeff Goodman said had no chance to be a tournament team. That's a direct quote. Jeff Goodman said Marquette had no chance to be a tournament team. So all of a sudden, beating Providence at home, beating Seton Hall at home, winning at Villanova, winning at the Finneran Pavilion, which no one has won at since 1963, beating Xavier at home, and then winning at Seton Hall. Do you like that sad I just made up, by the way, Fancy? You didn't even react when I said that no one's won at Finner since 1963. Well, you've said even, it now four know. times this week, Dalster. You said it on our <laughs> on our Dalster T.O. and Fanta podcast earlier this week. But go ahead. I'm well, with you. That, I, they, they've been unbelievable. They've been they unbelievable. Been. They've completely changed the narrative of what their season's going to end up being. They've gotten themselves to a point where 
they are now playing for a seed that could allow them to make a run to the final four as opposed to trying Ooh. to get into the tournament. You know what I mean? Like there, there's a real chance that they could play their way into like a top four seed. Oh yeah, there and is. Who would who would have seen that coming? Nobody. Who would have yeah. seen that coming with this Marquette team heading to the season? Credit to Shaka Smart, man. We talked about him a lot um, on the show over the course of the last couple of weeks, but it, the job he's done there is unbelievable. To me, right now, I don't. I think he's on the short list for national coach of the year. And all due respect to Ed Cooley, um, I think that he has to be. I mean, it's those two, right? For Biggie's coach of the year. Yep. Ed Cooley and Shaka Smart. It's got to be one of those two. Absolutely. Yeah, it has to be. And I think that Shaka Smart is the big winner of January. I think if you picked a winning team of January, Marquette lost on the 1st of January. They lost to Creighton in double overtime. They and, then and honestly, the 1st first, the first of January counts as December because everybody's hung over from the night before. 1st right. of January counts as 2021. <laughs> right, right. They face a stretch, though. They then face a stretch against Providence against Villanova. They've got Seton Hall uh, and a stretch of games where you're staring at four top 20 opponents in a span of six games. Xavier as well. They beat all of them. They haven't lost since that last day of December. They've had none. Basically they've had an unbeaten month and people thought that the ceiling for this team would be, ah, they'll make the NIT and then they'll, they'll, package that into next year, into year two. But I was told this by Marquette's administration in October, and it stuck with me. And you know what they said? They said, we are benefiting at Marquette because Shaka Smart comes into this job doubted, counted out, told he can't get it done, and that is the best thing for us. Mm -hmm. Shaka Smart is a good coach. You just don't get Virginia Commonwealth to a Final Four and not be a good coach. Texas is one of the five most complicated jobs in college basketball in terms of money can't buy you everything. And the people in Austin think that it does. And it doesn't in football or basketball for them. So Marquette is the big winner. I'll give you a couple of big winners totally off the map because on the field of 68 after dark, we appreciate every program. A team that's won 13 in a row. Let's put some respect out to the Mountain West and Boise State. Mm-hmm. Incredible winning streak that, they, that they've been able to put together 13 straight wins. They don't do it in a pretty way. They're just coming off a, a gritty win over Wyoming. Uh, Abu Kigab and Tyson Degenhart leading them. This is a Boise State team that's really, really difficult to score on. Rob's laughing at, at uh, my pronunciation there. Hey, hey <laughs> you, you gave it your all. I did. You gave it your all. I did. That was that was that was the equivalent of diving on the floor, sliding across the entire court, and trying to save a ball that's going out of bounds. You gave it your all on that one. So I like the Broncos. The fact they've won thirteen in a row. How about a team that's won ten in a row out of the Colonial, UNC Wilmington, guys? It's a tough league to to win consistently because you're playing teams twice in a row. UNC Wilmington has won 10 straight games behind Jalen Sims and Shaquem Phillips. I like this group and the, and the run that they've been able to put together. Hats off to UNCW. And then you know what my biggest winner of the month is? My biggest winner of the month is the MLK Day Junior Showdown between 
Illinois, and Purdue that went right down to the wire, saw double overtime. Those two teams showed us that they could cut down the nets when it's said and done. If they play their best basketball, they could win it all. So for me, the fact that the Big Ten is as deep as it is at the top, Illinois and Purdue, neither team deserved to lose that game. They're both winners for me in the month of January. I learned a lot about Illinois in the last month. I thought Curbelo came back that day, Ashton, and was huge for the Fighting Illini. And, and Purdue's ability to just win that game. Travion Williams as a passer in that second overtime, that is a defining image of January for me, Ashton. Oh, for sure. I, and that, that's what separates Purdue to me is the fact that they have Ivy on a perimeter that can get into the lane and create whenever he wants. But anytime you have a big man that can score in his own, or if you double him, he can, he can pick you apart and pass out the doubles team. I think that's what just makes them so tough, man. The Big Ten overall, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a rough battle headed into the end. All right, we got three minutes. Rob, biggest loser of January. Uh, the biggest loser is always going to be Jeff Goodman, but the biggest loser of the month of January to me, uh, was, is, is, uh, I think there's two, <laughs> I, I oh, think there's that made two. me laugh way harder than I, I didn't expect <laughs> that. That was great. Uh, the, the, I think number one is Alabama. They went from being a team that had knocked off Gonzaga that had knocked off Houston. Archie Miller said that he thought that they could win a national title. So they were the number two team in the country. And in the month of January, they lost to Missouri and they lost to Georgia. Georgia. You can't lose to Missouri and Georgia in the same season in basketball and football and baseball. It doesn't matter the sport. You can't lose to both of those programs in the same month. And they uh, they've done it. They've lost four of their last six. And um, I know they got that home win over LSU, but that's not pretty. The other one was Iowa state who just, they came back to earth, man. That's, that's the biggest thing. Um, They've lost five of their last eight. Uh, I know that they have a win over Texas Tech in there. They have a win over Texas, and they're probably going to be able to get to the tournament. But we just – they're a great defensive team that has issues offensively and is probably a year or two away from um, from being what we thought they were going to be as of Christmas. Does that make sense? Makes sense, man. I, yes. I, I, had, I had that Alabama team as, as definitely a, a loser in uh, January. But I also had Seen Hall, Fanta. I had Seton Hall, and and the reason I say that is I actually had Seton Hall as one of the contenders to win the Big East. So now you know losing to DePaul, losing to Marquette twice, and and yeah. uh, and St. John's. Um, I'm a little disappointed, and uh, I I thought I would see a little bit more out of Kadari Richmond coming from Syracuse. Um, you know they he had NBA talks, you know in the summer, but uh, him as the third leading guy I was thinking behind Bryce Aiken and Jared Roden I was just expecting a little bit more but um you know they they obviously still have time to pick it up but definitely didn't have a good January at all yeah hey with 30 seconds left I'll say this Memphis is my big loser in January things just really they really slid downhill for the Tigers and then you can compound that with the Penny Hardaway stuff uh brutal in every way for Memphis. Hey, huge, huge weekend ahead. We're back with you on After Dark at 11 Eastern time Friday night to preview a major weekend of games that is highlighted by Kansas and Kentucky. It's highlighted by Marquette and Providence. It's going to be fun here for Rob Doster, for Ashton Gibbs, for our producer, Greg Waddell. This is John Fanta 
saying thanks for listening to another edition of Feel the 68 After Dark on Sirius XM, Channel 84. And you're clear. All right. All right. After Dark Afters. Go ride here. Let's do it. The Afters. Let's get weird, Ashley. Did you did you like that? I you know little love to Boise State, love the Broncos, little love to UNC Wilmington. No, went- uh, Boise Boise State was a great call. I think that the Mountain West is going to end up being a three bid league this year. You do Boise, yeah. Boise State like they don't have any wins that are really going to pop off the page, but they got a bunch of like wins that look really good on net rankings and on net scores, and and you know like Washington State's a top fifty win or something like that, and. Winning at San Diego State was a nice one. By the way, they beat San Diego State forty-two to thirty-seven. Yeah, Boise State when they play when they play San Diego State in football, that game is not forty-two to thirty-seven. It's it's a higher scoring game in football. Right. It's ugly. It is ugly. But shout out to Leon Rice, man. Not Mike Rice. If Steve Prohm was listening to this, it is Leon Rice, the head coach of Boise State. I heard that. I heard that the other night. I would say, yeah. Look. defensively they're connected um a, a team that they're they're going to be you do not want to see them in a first round matchup just because they have such a winning pedigree they've got great experience as well hey busy night here in the west coast conference san francisco was down three to saint mary's at home with nine seconds left that would be a a tough loss for the dons guys i mean that that wow. would be big in the wcc it really would be. It really would be. Uh, Gonzaga's rolling. Like, how do you, Duster, how do you view the obvious answer is, well, you know, they're supposed to cruise past everybody. Uh, do you think that Gonzaga will lose a WCC game? Mm-hmm. You do. At some point. Yeah. At some point. They, they're they're going to lose some. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I think San Francisco, I know that they're about to lose to, um, to, to St. Mary's at home here, but I still think that's a really good basketball team with really, really good guards. Uh, and they're going to be a tough matchup for Gonzaga at home because I think the way that you beat them is you could space the floor, pull people away from the basket and let guards go make a play. Um, I do think that that's the way that you can kind of get to Gonzaga. And I think that's what San Francisco does. Uh, I think BYU playing at their place is never like, it feels like every year Gonzaga um, trips up there uh, and St. Mary's is St. Mary's man. Uh, those are the – it's going to end up being the way the schedule shakes out. The last two games of Gonzaga's regular season are at San Francisco and at St. Mary's. And, the, I mean, it's going to be wrapped up at that point. Gonzaga's going to be a locked number one seed. They're going to have the conference all one. They're going to have the number one seed for the WCC tournament locked up, and they're going to be playing for nothing. And they go to San Francisco and St. Mary's in the span of three days at the end of their regular season. Those – like, that is prime – find a way to lose a game territory mm. right there. So yeah. I, I do think they're going to lose something. And look, that both those teams, I'm sorry not to cut you off, but the last point is both of those teams are going to be in a position where they have to win those games to get in the tournament, right? That is, that's, 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 that's San Francisco's playing game. You beat Gonzaga at home, you're getting to the tournament. Yeah. Ashton, do you think, like, if you were to tier things at the top, is Gonzaga in tier one of teams that you think you're most confident in winning it all this year? Or would you kind of put them in like the second group of four or five, if that makes sense? Where do you kind of stand with them? No, I think they're tier one. And uh, I only reason I say that is I, I love Andrew Nimhard. 
you know, mm-hmm. Drew Timmy, they're just proven veterans. Um, Chet Holmgren, he can change, he can block shots, change shots, but he's still growing into his own. I think by the time he gets to the NCAA tournament, we'll even see an even better version of him as he gets, you know, just comes, comes into his own sure. um, offensively and, and defensively. But I love Andrew Nimhard just being a point guard. I think it, it becomes a guard, it become a guards game, you know, within the NCAA tournament. So Anytime you have a veteran leader, uh, I think you'll be fine. I'm thinking about Saturday here. Just looking ahead at the slate, because Friday's slate is the cover is a, a little bit bare uh, on, on Friday night in this sport. Saturday, Saturday night, I have my eye on a game. Which team shows their true colors on this stage, right? Texas or Tennessee? I've had Not trouble. Fi- I've had trouble figuring out both teams. I like Texas too. You don't no, like said, Texas. I said. I said. I said not Texas. Really? I'm. I'm. I'm off. I'm. I'm out on Texas. I'm out on them. I just even I don't after think a blowout good. win over TCU. Oh, a blowout win over who? Okay, a blowout win over TCU. <laughs> they looked pretty good the other night. I'm not. I'm not saying about quality. I'm just saying they looked better. You're. You're out on the Longhorns. So you have I, I Tennessee. I, you have Tennessee marching into Austin and winning this game. I think they will win that game. I think Tennessee is the better team. I, I just look. It's going to take a while for Chris Beard to kind of get that thing going. I think that there are too many new pieces on that Texas roster, and my biggest biggest question is where are the pros, right? Like where where are the guys where you're like, yeah, that dude is a game changing talent. That dude right there is going to be able to go win a game by himself. I just don't think that they have those guys. Like, they got a bunch of really good pieces. They have a bunch of really good supporting cast players. They have a point guard that is 14 and 44 heading into the season in his career in conference play in Marcus Carr. I, I just, I, I, I think I they think thought Marcus the- Carr was going to be that guy, you know, mm-hmm. being the number one grad transfer. And even Trey Mitchell. Trey Mitchell was, you know, obviously a big time player coming out of high school he's, he's and fine went the and they're solid they're okay i think tennessee is really gonna try to win this game just because rick barnes is coaching um <laughs> i think it's gonna be big so i think it's gonna be big on that on that end see here's the problem with tennessee they don't have enough ways that they can score the basketball effectively if santiago viscovi or kendy chandler's having an off day from the field tennessee becomes extremely limited and you could tell me that they make up for it with the way that they defend and with the way that they can rebound the basketball with guys like John Fulkerson uh, and, and they rebound by committee, but Tennessee, I don't trust. I do not trust them. I didn't trust them last year. They got bounced from the tournament by Oregon state. I don't trust them this year. I don't, uh, I, I don't think that offensively they're good enough. And I like this matchup, actually, for Texas. I think this particular matchup suits Texas. I like Jimmy Allen in this matchup. Uh, I, I think that, that they have a front court, does Texas, to be able to make things happen. And I, I think that this Longhorns team, I, I think that it's taken a little bit more time than it would for other teams of their talents because Chris Beard has a lot of options and might have to shorten that rotation a little bit. I like Texas to beat Tennessee on Saturday night. So I differ I, I wanna, with Rob. I, I want to ask you guys about Marquette Providence because um, specifically the last time that we saw those two te- teams play, 
Uh, Marquette won, I believe the final score was 874 to three. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and like Ashton, if you're in a locker room and you get completely run out of the building like that, right? And then you got that team coming into your house. How is there, how much does that impact the preparation for that game? Is that something that you guys remember? Is that something that is like hung on to? Oh, for because sure. I, I, I think that Marquette's an awful matchup for Providence. Like I think that I think Providence is really like, I, I kind of broke their balls a little bit earlier. I think Providence is a really good, extremely well-coached team, but that's just the, the way that Marquette plays can is that's how you can kind of get to Providence. I think. Yeah. I think Marquette is just more talented when it's all said and done as well. You know, from Tyler Kolick to, Justin Lewis is, I, I'm just really high on him. I, I just think they're a little bit more talented. That's that's what it comes down to. They both play hard. Both obviously got really good coaches. It's going to come, it comes down to shot making at the end of the day. It comes down to how much talent you have, regardless of, you know, anything else. But I, I do like that Providence plays hard. Man. Those guys defensively, they really gap up. They secure rebounds. But offensively is where I think, you know, Marquez just – they just separate themselves. I got to tell you, man, this game at 12.30 Eastern time on Sunday, being in more of a standalone window and giving the Providence faithful a chance to dig out of all the snow that's coming. If this game were on Saturday and the dunk were kind of half full, I would be sitting here right now and saying it's a very different game. Providence remembers that that is ingrained in that locker room that they got blown out by 32 and the beauty of the big East is the double round Robin schedule. You get them at your place. They get you at their place. And I agree with you in that Marquette style gives Providence issues and Marquette's talent level can give Providence a lot of issues too. But you know what? That was just a bad night for the Friars. They were riding a hot streak into Marquette. Marquette had to win. They had to win that game. They were Mm -hmm. 0-3 in the Big East. Desperation means everything. This this game is going to go right down to the wire. This is not going to be a Marquette 10-point win. I don't don't think it'll be a Providence 10-15 point win. It comes down to, to pace for me. If Marquette can get in the open floor and Lewis is is Lewis is making Providence's bigger players come out on him and the spacing of Marquette's able to pay off, then maybe it's advantage Marquette. But man, I, I, I like guys, the Dunkin' Donuts center is one of the most underappreciated atmospheres in college basketball, especially in a game like this, that place is going to be unconsciously loud on Sunday afternoon. That makes a huge difference in this game. The, the one thing I will say to that is, uh, Providence is going to get like 18 to 24 inches of snow starting yeah. Friday night, going Sun- until Sunday morning. I, look, I, people in the Northeast, we know how to get out of snow and Providence fans are going to find a way to get into the dunk. I just wonder if it's going to be like 70% capacity and that difference from going so. from 70% capacity to hundred percent capacity just changes the, the noise level a little bit in the building. I don't think it'll matter. It's going to be a great game either way. I'm fired up. Yeah, that's, I, that's that. That'll be again. That'll be good. Big East, most entertaining conference in college basketball. Flat out. I am. I am psyched for it. I, I cannot wait for that stage for that game. It's going to be fun. Uh, my man Vin Parisi is going to be joining me on the telecast. Uh, it's it's going to be a. Are you are you on the call? I'm on the call for this game. Oh, uh, big game, Johnny Fanta. All right. Really excited. 
really excited to be even the for the coaches i think even you know shaka and ed cooley is just uh, those are two good ones too coaching as well so we'll see it's gonna be fun hey yeah. hey by the way you know how on pti they they t- tony reality cut his teeth on uh like where Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser might have might have uh, missed said something. So we had what do we have? Mike Rice, Leon Rice. Here's my twelve oh five mistake. Jimmy Allen. I went to school with a Jimmy Allen at one point. It's Timmy Allen. Uh, I put some respect. I, I think he, my I uncle. Think he, my uncle is named Jimmy Allen. Jimmy Allen is the head coach of uh, of the Army um, the Army Golden Knights. And my brother's name is Jimmy Allen. Doster. So uh, there's a well, lot of Jimmy Allen's that I know. Who's a better basketball player? Me. Wasn't uh. <laughs> close. My brother Ashton, was soccer what's player. your What's the Gibbs family head-to-head record, and who uh, owns it? We mm-hmm. have we have a Gibbs All family. Right. Let's go. Let's go. All right. We have oh, a Gibbs go. family. We have a Gibbs family rule that we can't play one-on-one. What? That's <laughs> why, oh, okay, that is, why we cannot we we cannot give, guard give, each other. Give me the give me the story because, of why that happened because I know it's it was. Be good. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this happened at least three or four times where my parents weren't weren't around. We were at uh, you know basketball practice. Me and Sterling played with each other um, in high school, and we got into so many fights that <laughs> you know the coach called our parents and that we just had to make a rule about it. So literally, since high school, we have not played one on one. And I hey, bet you that translates. Two, to- I, well, ahead. no, I was gonna say I, I got a follow up for you, Ashton. What was your record in those fights? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not losing those. I'm the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> you better not be losing. Hey, hey, man. I'd say, and I'm sure that the same translated for like Madden for 2K kids. I had a little brother too. We could like we would play something. You tell me this. You always wanted to play, right? Like you, you'd be excited to play, but then the loser after it, it ended up being such a bad idea that you played because the loser's so pissed off, right? Oh, for sure, yeah, that changes everything. That, that was, changes the dinners. That changes <laughs> the everything. mood in the house. Yes, literally everything. All right, I, I, I have a question for you guys coming from the YouTube chat that I think is interesting and I think that we should touch on. It's from Andrew Schaefer. And he said, is there concern for the future of the ACC with all of the coaching changes, current and future? Um, a bunch of, bunch of programs have coaches going into retirement. There's turnover in the coaching ranks. And the teams that were supposed to come into the league from the Big East and lift it up and turn it into a juggernaut have been flops. Like Syracuse, they've, I think they've been the four of the last, NCAA, uh, four of the last eight NCAA tournaments. Um, your Pitt Panthers, yeah. Ashton, have not really held up their end of the bargain. Uh, Louisville has had some really good seasons. Uh, Louisville's also had some seasons that have gotten a head coach fired. So um, is the ACC in trouble, is, is, or is this just like a cyclical thing, do you guys think? I think I, I think that Louisville hire is going to be big for the ACC, not just Louisville, but just for the ACC in general. Um, I also – like like we talked about before, I think Capel's actually going to turn it around within the next year or two. Um, you know, that Ethio Horton not playing in the last year, John, John Hughley, the situations off the court um, have definitely affected, you know, different things with Pitt. And then Syracuse, I actually happened to be at the game the other day, the Pitt-Syracuse game, and they just look 
different. But I actually think the Kadari Richmond transfer was huge uh, for Syracuse as well because that was that extra playmaker that they needed. Yeah. So, um, well, well I mean, here. you know why he transferred though? He 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 didn't want to he didn't want to play daddy ball. I mean, that, yeah, that's that's basically. what it was. Yeah. So like, I I I do kind of understand. But why he but left. they need him bad. They need him. Very good, and he's not—he's not playing great at Seen Hall at all. Uh, no, he's not playing well. He—he he has had a, a troublesome past couple of games. Seton Hall greatly needs Bryce Aiken back. Uh, they he, just uh, been the hey, scored all his points against UConn. Yeah, he did. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. right. Hey, you know, here's here's how I think of the ACC. So, would I be hitting a panic button? No, I wouldn't do that. I think it's easy to do so. What they need to do is they need to get their athletic directors and their coaches into a meeting room this spring. And a lot of people sometimes think that those meeting rooms, it's all a bunch of hodgepodge, light talk, drinks after the meetings, golf. They need to have a serious spring meeting when, when they get into that boardroom. And 10 years ago, the Southeastern Conference had, a, had that very meeting. The SEC, right about 10 years ago, held a meeting. They brought in former Big East Commissioner Mike Trangisi to serve as an advisor and Mike came in and said, first things first, you guys got to start scheduling people. Get people on your schedules. Bring marquee competition into your buildings. Let's get an SEC Big 12 challenge going like we've got this weekend. Marquee event. College game day is going to Kansas, Kentucky. But beyond that, you get games like Texas and Tennessee. You get games like Alabama, Baylor. Alabama and Auburn basketball have benefited because Mike Trangisi and the SEC about a decade ago said, we have to be better. We've got to do things strategically. Hey, Auburn, Auburn, who's about to commit more money to basketball. You've got to put your best foot forward and spend some more money. At the end of the day, if you're going to be a power player at the table, you have to put some dollars into what you're, what you're doing. The ACC is the mom and pop shop that's been run for the last 40 years. And you know what? Their meatballs on a Sunday night are great. The problem is the Sunday night meatball special is not the only thing that's cutting it. You got to make dollars from Monday to Saturday too. There are some great parts of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Duke is the Sunday night meatballs. And Duke's going to keep being that. They're going to keep being the best dish that you have to offer. But beyond that, to have depth on your menu, so to say, you've got to get back to who you are. And the fact is this, when those schools from the Big East made their move, they made their move with football on their mind. But it can't be such a large gap from football to hoops. There's got to be some strategy done. There's got to be some digging. It's not a coincidence that these Big East teams that move to a different league are now struggling in a big way in basketball. It's not a coincidence that a bunch of them are struggling. There's some reprioritizing that has to happen from an administrative standpoint here this offseason. The ACC can be great. There's no question it can be great. It's time for some reevaluation and an identification of how do we get better collectively? Because when you're better collectively, each part ends up benefiting in a different way. Yeah, 100%. All right, we have a couple other questions in the chat. So uh, James said... 
Um, Conference USA needs help. It's the worst conference. I don't think this channel has ever really talked about Conference USA. Okay, first and foremost, we had Andy Kennedy on our mid-major top 25 show like two weeks ago. Second of all, we already talked about Jelly Fam Jordan Walker hitting the game winner for UAB to beat Western Kentucky tonight. So, James, step your game up, sir. Uh, Jet Rogers wants us to talk about the Big 12. Ashton, talk about the Big 12. Go. Putting you on the spot. Go. Um, Jet Rogers is asking you for whatever Jet Rogers wants. We're going to do. Well, it's going to be big. I think the Tennessee and Texas this weekend is going to be, I think that's going to be huge. And I have, I have Texas. I I think Texas is going to, is going to make a big statement here. I think Tennessee is going to want to win because that Rick Barnes, that Rick Barnes, Texas, you know, that, that whole relationship right there, that Tennessee is definitely going to want to win, but. Yeah, I have let's, Texas. Let's, I have let's Texas roll through all weekend, the Big man. Twelve SEC games. Let's roll. Let's roll through it. Let's. I'm going to bring up the schedule right now. Let's roll through. Well, I think right. just briefly, the Big Twelve I think is the best conference in college basketball, and there are there are two definite, but there Taylor. are there are three, if not four, teams that could realistically make a Final Four. There are on the Big Twelve conference. That league is the best in the country. Who Who are your who are the teams that you think can make it? Okay, so I, I think that it's a surefire thing. Baylor, Baylor and Kansas, obviously. So Baylor, Kansas. all right, I'm not gonna. I'm. You know what? I'm gonna take a step back. I'm gonna take a step back because I. He's take, hey, Ashton, he's taking a step back. I'm walking back. I'm walking back. <laughs> he's walking it back. I, I, I'm. <laughs> I am. I'm gonna so he, walk it back. Wa- I don't think. I don't. Back. But I think. I think that it wouldn't surprise me to see a Texas Tech make a run to an Elite Eight and be in a position, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And then by that point, when you make an Elite Eight, see, here's some campaigning, Ashton. This is where we kind of play our way in a little bit. At that point, if you make an Elite Eight, it's all draw dependent. You know what I mean? Like, we, we've seen teams be able to benefit. They're a big winner from January. Like, let's give Texas Tech some flowers. We forgot to give them to them. I know that they had a, um, a couple of stumbles here and there. But at the end of the day, they beat Kansas and Baylor in back-to-back games, and they show just how tenacious their defensive effort can be. And the fact that Kevin McCuller, he, he is such a big-time player for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. So I, Texas Tech is a team that could be the dark horse on this league still and can absolutely make it that far. But I, but I think that I would be shocked if the Big 12 didn't have a Final Four team. I would be downright shocked. And when you could say that you got a guarantee Final Four team, like I think it's as close to a guarantee as possible on the Big 12, they're going to have one of the last four standing. That's damn good because that's a conference's goal. Have somebody in New Orleans. Baylor or Kansas is going to be in New Orleans. Okay. I agree. Ashton agrees. I got some some hot takes. You guys might might think that these are hot takes. Um, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about Kansas. I think that this year has been uh, one of the best coaching jobs that Bill Self has had in his entire career. Um, I think that they have major, major problems at the five. Uh, Dave McCormick is, is not the guy. He's not Yudoka Azabuki. He's not the guy that we want him to be. Um, I don't think Mitch Lightfoot is someone that you want playing 25 minutes a game. Uh, I don't think that you can have Jalen Wilson go full small ball five uh, as, as much as you would need him to, to be able to make that happen. They also have issues at the point. Uh, Dewan Harris is, is functional. I think he's a really good backup point guard. 
I don't think that you want him being the guy that plays 30 to 35 minutes. I don't trust Remy Martin to be the guy, even when he's healthy and he ain't been healthy. Um, so I have very real concerns about what happens when you get Kansas out of their conference. Now, the mitigating factor is that Bill Self is unbelievable when it comes to scheming buckets in important moments, right? Like he's probably worth eight to 10 points a game just by having him on the sideline. So it might not even matter, especially when you have two pros and a potential national player of the year candidate. Uh, but Kansas to me has the makeup of a team that could end up getting picked off uh, early in the tournament. And Baylor, I love Baylor. I love Scott Drew. I love that program. I love the culture of joy. I love everything. Here about comes. Here comes the butt. But, but their three small guards really, really worry me against specific matchups of teams that have big athletic wings that can switch everything. That is what Texas Tech does. Texas Tech plays five guys at all times that are between like 6'5 and 6'8 and are all big, strong, physical, athletic, grown-ass men. Switch everything, take you out of what you want to run. Play that no middle defense. It's a nightmare to play against. And I think the the little guards, part of what the issue that they had that Baylor had in that game was that their little guards struggled with that kind of length and athleticism. The same thing happened against Oklahoma State. It was their their smaller guards had trouble creating against the length and athleticism against Oklahoma State when they when they kind of changed those defenses and switched everything and played that certain style. So again, Baylor to me is another team that could very easily find themselves in a bad matchup. Now I say all that to say this, <laughs> I can go down the list of the top teams in the country and say like, this is the matchup that I would be concerned about. Yes. There's things about that with Gonzaga. There's things about that with um, Purdue. With, with Purdue. There's yeah. things about that with UCLA. Uh, there's, there's very real issues with Arizona's point guard play. Like I, yes. I don't know if I fully trust Kirk Reese at this point. So my what I'm saying is Duke when it, when it comes down. Yeah, Duke, Duke doesn't have a point guard either. Like when it comes down to it, um, I, I think that this year's tournament is going to be something where we end up with a final four. That's like a six seed, a four seed, a two seed and a three seed. So to sit here and say like, I, yeah, I really think that Baylor and, and Kansas, I just I don't I don't have any confidence in picking anybody to do anything in this year's tournament. Because I, 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 I could see how every single team can get upset. It's well, and, and I also like one one big take we've talked about this on our pod is a lot of people are saying there's not one great team. No, 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 no. There's several great teams this year. Like because of the amount of experience back, mm-hmm. each team could get exposed in a certain way. There's not one dominant team. That's good for the sport. The sport's healthy if a six seed's making it. Would it surprise any of us if UConn as a five seed? ended up making the final four. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I that's know I'm just, speaking. That's, that's just what they do. That's, <laughs> that's just what they do. They right. win national titles. with no one thinks they can win. Would, would it shock me if EJ Liddell had not a body NCAA tournament and Zed key was big time and Ohio state found enough guard play. It would probably surprise me a little bit, but it wouldn't be like still there. There's still a team. Would like here, here's one thing. <laughs> you look at where uh, you, you real, real quick before you say this Colorado fresh off of uh, yeah, blasting Oregon um, in Eugene is now losing by 13 oh. to Washington. Well, that's uh, that what, that pretty much sums you, them up. Hey, what are I, you doing? I have a take. Um, I have Ooh, a take. Oh, all right, hold on. Let me put my seatbelt on. All right, I'm ready to go. 
I'm going to get real close to the microphone here because I'm kind of saying, I'm kind of saying it quietly. You guys hear me? Okay. All good. (laughs) I'm teetering. I, I, I know everybody's on the coach K coach K tour here, you know, last chance here, last, last run at national championship. I'm out on the tour. I'm off the bus. I'm sorry. I can't, I, I, I don't, I'm not buying them. I don't, I don't see it. I, I used to see it. I don't think that they're a final four team. There. I said it. You don't think they're a final four team. Why, why you say is that? It, yeah, I don't the like point guard play. What is it's it? a lack of perimeter play. It's a point. It's a point guard play is teetering. I'm seeing you have scares against ACC competition. Some of which is not NCAA tournament caliber. I actually get a little bit worried that Duke gets too comfortable in the ACC, a weaker ACC, gets to the NCAA tournament and ends up and ends up having a reality check. Yeah. I also get a little bit – they are going to be – seriously, this is the closest thing in college basketball to a Michael Jordan last dance documentary. Mm-hmm. When they walk into a building in the NCAA tournament, they are going to have every camera crew known to man. Camera crews from other countries following them because Coach K is a transcendent figure. I get worried about 18 to 22-year-old kids in that spot. I think that they could... Part of me wants to believe, but I'm really wondering here if they get to that second weekend and they face a team that knows how to expose them in their backcourt it's a guards game, guys, and Duke's right. guard play is too inconsistent at times. It's reminding me, not to the degree, not to the degree. I want to make it clear, not to the degree, but it's reminding me of some of the flaws that Zion's Duke team had where when it came down to it, hitting shots from 15 feet and beyond, which you have to do to win. At certain points, the NCAA tournament, you have to do to win. This Duke team, at the end of the day, is not a good perimeter shooting basketball team. You could pack it in against them and beat them. And they, they don't make plays from, from the perimeter enough either. They don't have that one guy that could just literally make a play at will. You know, so I, I, agree, I, I agree with you. I, I do disagree with some of it in the sense that I, I think that they're a better perimeter shooting team than you're giving them credit for. Um, they are top 30 in the nation in three-point shooting. I think the addition of A.J. Griffin is huge. Um, I think that we have not seen a fully healthy AJ Griffin and a fully healthy Trevor Keels on the court at the same time. And when you have both of those guys healthy and, and Keels should be back and healthy and ready to go by the time the tournament starts, he's got a calf injury. Um, all of a sudden you have a team that has five first round picks or five NBA players on the court with, uh, Theo John coming off the bench and Joey Baker coming off the bench and Jeremy Roach coming off the bench. Um, the, the, the point that you made about being overwhelmed by the moment for a bunch of kids when it's coach K's last game is 100% accurate. And to me, that's the biggest concern I have with this group is like, it, it might end up being too much for them. Um, but I think that when it comes to just pure talent level, they are on such a different plane from everybody else in college basketball. And the only other thing that I'll say is this, um, Duke would have made the 2019 Final Four with Zion Williamson if Kenny Goings doesn't hit a shot with, with I think it was like with five seconds left of regulation. Uh, that was set up by All-American point guard Cassius Winston 
and future NBA player and first round pick Xavier Tillman. Right. So you're right in that he didn't make the final four. Um, but I think that a lot of what happened in that game at the end had to do with the fact that Michigan state had a great point guard. Now Duke doesn't have that. So yes, I, I 100% agree with those concerns, but um, I think you guys are selling them a little bit short in terms of just how fucking talented they are, man. Like there's yeah, no but, one, but, th- but then you lose to Miami on your home court. You lose to Florida state. That's just, that's just what, I mean, Miami goes in there and they beat up on everybody. Right. And the thing about Florida state is that's a specific style of play They they, they switch everything. They don't let you run your offense. They make you beat them one-on-one. If you don't have great guards against Florida state, you're probably going to end up losing. Um, and that's, I mean, we saw it. We, we saw that happen. Uh, and also like, can we give Florida state a little bit of credit? Like that they, they've Florida state and Miami, the two teams that have figured it out in the ACC. Yeah. And now maybe they're just completely overrated and they absolutely stink. But those are the two teams right now that are playing the best basketball in the ACC. And they won one possession games against it. So if we're going to make the point about like fluky, fluky results, when we're talking about Providence, we probably have to say that it's a little bit flu- like one possession games can end up being something of a coin flip. So um, I'm not, I get what you're saying and I hear you, but I'm, I'm going to stay. Those gonna, late, I'm those gonna, late shot clock, those late this, shot this clock right situations. You see what I'm doing right court. here? You see what I'm doing right here? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? I'm driving that Duke bandwagon. I'm still on board. I don't know. Still on board. I'm still on board. I'm still I'm on board. I'm not sure. All right. It's 1231. Uh, we're back mm-hmm. in. Let's see. My math is not great. We're back in 20. What are we back in? 22 hours and 30 minutes. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. 22 uh, hours and 30 minutes. Breaking news. Breaking what? news. There's no after dark tomorrow night. <laughs> So we'll be back in it will be back in 46 hours in 30 minutes and 30 minutes. Okay, we're back Saturday night at 11 Eastern time for a loaded. I'm going to guess right now loaded hey, Saturday we need, night we need show. Three cheers. We got to do our cheers. Oh, we got to do three our three cheers. cheers. Three cheers. Okay. Ashen, Ashen, kick it off. Three cheers. Well, you so, only have to give us you only have to give us one. <laughs> So what what are we doing again? Say it one more time. Three cheers. So, you give us a toast to, to something. Yeah, you give us oh, a toast. Oh, so cheers to for the night. Um Bruce Pearl, man. Bruce Pearl. I think he has a big time contract coming on the way. Um he's gonna be able to write his own check. So cheers to Bruce. Cheers, <laughs> cheers to Bruce. Okay, cheers to Bruce as Rob continues on the bourbon trail. Um, Go mine's ahead. not mine's less of a cheers and more of a more of a salute to San Francisco who blew a 23 point lead at <laughs> home tonight and lost to St. Mary's in just a crushing game. So look, Todd golden, that staff, I like those guys and congrats to St. Mary's on getting that win. Like that's a big, big win for their resume, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to drink one with you guys, San Francisco, the Dons. I know that you need it after tonight. I'm going to say cheers to UCLA they have reestablished that they can win it all here this week, gentlemen, and they showed it. That was that performance at Pauley Pavilion on a big stage, big game. UCLA is made for the moment. They fit Los Angeles really well. They did on the tournament stage last year. 
They did earlier this week against Arizona. You could talk about the fact Arizona hadn't beaten anybody or or that you need to see them play higher co- caliber competition because the Pac-12 is a little bit weaker. It, it is. UCLA, though, after a lengthy COVID pause, we, we've seen some deficiencies at times. Fact is this, Jules Bernard is such a big-time player and a big-time shot maker. He is the guy who stirs the drink in terms of shot making. And when you combine that with Johnny Juzang, I hope he's okay with the COVID uh, protocols, and Jaime Jaquez, who's going to be a pro, like the Bruins are tough as nails. They, you're, you, if you want to play for Mick Cronin, you have to defend. If you're not going to defend, you can sit your ass down. So they defend, and they have superstar shot makers. The Bruins can win it all, and they showed us this. Cheers. My Poland Spring. Cheers, cheers. Cheers to the Bruins. Cheers to everybody. Greg Waddell, thanks for putting up with us for 94 minutes. For Rob Doster, for Ashton Gibbs, I'm John Fanta. Cheers. Good night, everybody. See you Saturday night on the field of 68 after dark.